0: Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you guys for serving us. You guys can have a seat. There we go. <laughs> There go. All right, that one's done. All right. <laughs> okay. Great to see you here with us again this weekend. My name is Scott, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you. It's good to see you, especially, you know, those that are in the room, but also mom online. Thanks for being with us. (laughs) Or Marsha, too. Uh, If you find that, like, the power goes out as you're watching this, or maybe you fall asleep this morning and then wake up later and say, actually, I want want to hear that, you can always catch up with what's going on in our our website or our, our app, too. And, you know, sometimes there are a set of filters that we listen to things through, like, sometimes for ourselves. But other times you'll hear something and you'll say, man, I really wish my son had heard that. I want to send this to my brother-in-law, maybe all my in-laws, and so you can do that. Just point them to our website as well. Well, one, I, I feel like I've got a bunch of old person diseases I've been dealing with lately. Um, right, Like I've got arthritis I'm dealing with, but I, I've also had vertigo. And I always would hear about that. It's like that's such an old person disease. But luckily, I've not had to deal with it in the last couple of weeks. But twice this year already, I've had vertigo. I don't know if you know what vertigo is, but in your inner ear canal, there's fluid, and that fluid rubs up against little hairs, and that tells your body how to figure out which way is up or down, right? So when you get spun around on a carousel, that's that fluid going up against those hairs and it's what makes you feel really dizzy and consequently like carsick as a result of all of that. Well, when you have vertigo, little crystals build up on those hairs and it messes that up. So you'll just move your head a little bit and it will feel like you were thrown into like a washing machine. You feel really, really, really dizzy. And as I've dealt with this, one of the things that I've had to learn how to do is I've had to learn how to realize I'm receiving signals and cues from my body, but I can't listen to those signals and those cues. They're not trustworthy. I can't take action from what my body is telling me because if I do that, I have the potential to hurt myself and to hurt other people. So I want to ask you a question this weekend, just as we start out our topic of conversation. What do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? What do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong. And right now, some of you are going, I hate that question. Why would you ask a question like that in church right now? Because we can all think back to a season of our life. We can think back to that weekend trip, that business trip. We can think back to that age or that year in school where we were faced with that kind of dilemma. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is, is wrong? And there's something inside of you like a still small voice that's telling you this is a bad idea. And sometimes that sounds a lot like your mom, your mom's voice in your head. For those that maybe grew up in church, this is something like, maybe this is like the voice of your, like the spirit inside you. And it's saying, you're going to end up on the other side of this. This is a bad idea. Don't do it. This is going to lead to nothing but regret. What do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? That's actually a really, really important question because this is a question that is determinative. Now, what does it mean when I say determinative? It means that it's going to establish the course and the direction of your life. How you answer that question is going is to impact your future in big ways, whether it's purchases that leave you in debt, whether it's fear that makes you micromanage and control the people around you. Maybe it's relationships that would leave you with guilt and kind of leave you in a place where you could wish you could go back and you wish that you could unmeet that person. You wish you could untext them or unrespond to that email. Now, if you don't. If you don't really like anything we talk about this weekend, maybe you're not even a religious person. This is a really important question because how you answer this question has the potential to take your life down a path or even several paths that will do nothing but leave you with regret and that you may never fully recover from. So what do you do when your heart is telling you to do something? Your body is telling you to do something that your heart knows is wrong. Now we're in the middle of a series called Right in the Eye and it's a study in the book of Judges. And Judges was a a period of time in ancient Israel's past after Moses, and there was let my people go, and they, Moses dies, he hands things over to Joshua. Joshua tells them and kind of reminds them about the laws of God. He kind of puts them in the promised land, a lot like moving someone into a freshman dorm. He just gets them all set up and ready to go. He gives them a charge, hey, don't forget to follow God. But then they go into this period of time, it was about 300 years, where they went through this cycle, really a vicious cycle, a cycle where... They knew God's law, they knew what he had asked them to do, and yet they would choose to disobey him, and then the consequences of all of that would be so disastrous, and they would be suffering under the consequences of that, and they would call out to God, not necessarily because their hearts were turned back to God, but just because they didn't like the consequences that they were dealing with, and they would call out to God, and so God would deliver them through usually a judge, usually this was a leader and they might have been a military leader like Deborah or there's some other ones that just would come in and they would, they would rescue the people. And then once they would be rescued, they would say this, they would say, oh, I'm so glad I will never, ever, ever do that again. Have you ever had that happen in your life where you're like, you know, if mom and dad just would not be awake when I get home, if, if he or she just wouldn't find out about this flirtatious conversation I had with this other person, I'll never, ever, 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 ever do that again. And then a week or two goes by, and you do it again. That's the cycle that Israel was in for 300 years, over and over again. And so God would raise up for them judges. These were people that would come and would bail them out. And these weren't like core of law judges. These were tribal leaders like tribal chieftain kind of leaders. And what we see at the end of the book of Judges is where we started our whole conversation, just looking at how bad things had actually gotten. This cycle repeated over and over and over again until they get to the end of all of that. And this is is what Samuel says, is it gets so dark, it gets so ominous, it gets so twisted and so perverted as they just kept rebelling against God. Samuel says this, he says, in those days there was no king over Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the reason that everyone did what was right in their own eyes is because they basically made decisions for themselves based off of how they saw the nations around them interact. They would see what they got to do, and they would say things like, God, your laws for me are dumb and they're old-fashioned and that was Moses and that was generations ago and why do I have to be bound to that? And so they would look at what everyone else did and instead of looking up to God, they would look around at them. And then all of a sudden these cultures that they started copying that they started emulating eventually were the cultures that would capture them and captivate them and enslave them. And these kings that they would look at and say, man, this is the way that we ought to live, would be the kings that would enslave them as well. And this happened over and over and over and over again for 300 years. Now, there were two judges in particular in the book that are probably more well-known. They're the judges of Gideon and the judges of Samson. Now Gideon is a little less well known, we're going to talk about him next week, make sure you come back for that, but Samson, probably you may even know somebody named Samson at some point in time. Samson's a little bit better known, even if you don't go to church. Now Samson is a really important person in the book of Judges because he's really a microcosm or a reflection of the nation of Israel in general, of what's happening there. And we're going to see maybe by the end of today's message that in some ways, Samson and how he lived can be a microcosm or reflection of our lives as well. See, God had established Israel, hey, you're my chosen people. And I'm going to put my affection and my care and deliverance and my favor and my prosperity and my presence with you in unique ways. And the purpose of that was so that that nation of Israel would be a light that would shine to the nations around them. And be an example and to kind of declare this is what the character and the heart and the mind of the one true living God is. They were set apart to be special. He, God had a very, very purposeful plan for them. Now, in the same way, we're going to see that Samson actually had that same kind of special purpose that he was set aside for as well, a very specific role. In fact, he was going to be so gifted that he would bring a lot of attention. And just like the nation of Israel, if you know this story, you know, he was going to receive this attention And his purpose of his life was that he was supposed to reflect that back to God. So he would say that the reason that I'm so strong, the reason that I can do these amazing things is because the spirit of God rests on me. Just like Israel was supposed to reflect how the spirit of God was present with them. And the reason that God blessed us and the reason that God's favor was upon us and the reason that God chose us and the reason that we're such a military might in this land is so that we can point a flashlight on and reflect this, this, this nature of who God is, that he is the one, the true, the active, the living, the effectual, the active God. And so there's this reflection that's supposed to take place. Well, kind of in the same way that just like Israel lost their way during this period of the time of the judges, they kind of took their eyes off the road, they veered off the guardrails, in the same way, Samson is one of these judges, he did the exact same thing. And it's so fascinating when we look at his life that we see that Samson really has a weakness, and that weakness is for the Philistine women, And even though he knew God's law, even though he was a judge, even though he was a leader, even though God had had called him and given him for this very specific role that he was supposed to to serve, just like the nation of Israel had that same kind of role, in the same way, this is what Samson decided. He decided, when it comes to my sexuality, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to be like all the other men. So this was a real problem. This was a real problem because when Samson was born, the birth of Samson was much like many other significant births in the Scripture. It's a story that's been told a couple times, right? So there's there's a husband and a wife, and they're like, "Hey, we really want a baby. We can't have a baby." They're distraught by this, and then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. An angel shows up and says, "Hey, guess what? You're going to have a child, and guess what? It's going to be a." son it was always a son for some reason and so you're going to have a son and this is going to be amazing God's going to provide this for you and he's going to be this special son in fact that's what the angel of the Lord said upon said to Samson's parents the spirit of the Lord God is going to be upon your son and he's going to do amazing extraordinary things and so God has something special for him to do so I want you to raise him differently and he needs to be separate and called out. And the way that the angel of the Lord described it, he said he, he needs to take a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow. Now, here's what a Nazarite vow is. They had three things that they had to do. A Nazarite vow, first of all, they couldn't drink grape juice or wine. I don't know why, but they couldn't drink grape juice or wine. They couldn't touch any dead thing. So I, I don't really know how that works. Like, did they never get to eat meat? You know, if a mosquito lands on them, are they allowed to? Do they have to like shoot it away? I don't. I don't really know how that works. And then the last thing was that they weren't allowed to cut their hair. Those were the three things that a Nazarite vow was supposed to do. Now, the thing about the Nazarite vow was, in ancient times, typically this is something that someone would commit themselves to do. So if Maybe they wanted to really be earnest in their relationship with God as a way of getting his attention. They would say, I'm going to commit to this Nazarite vow. I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to touch a dead body. I'm not going to cut my hair. And generally, this would be for a short term. So it would be for like 30 days, maybe 90 days. But in Samson's case, this poor kid... His parents, you know, by maybe by the time he's six, seven, eight, and he's like, why are all my friends getting haircuts and I'm not getting a haircut? And his parents are like, well, because Samson, see, there was this angel, and the angel said, you are actually going to be doing something amazing. And so you're going to be following this Nazarite vow, but it's not going to be for 30 or 60 days. It's going to be for the rest of your life. And Samson never got the chance to say, this is something I want to do. He just had to choose, am I going to lean into what God has said is true about me? And so as we look into the book of Judges, as he becomes a teenager, he gets a special job, and he's kind of near the borderlands between the Israelites, the Philistines, near the coast. And so he's like a border patrol agent, you know, and he'd be checking things out. But Samson's weakness for the Philistine women would, would have this happen to him, where he would kind of see him, uh, see them, and he would go and like hang out uh, down by them. But as he's a border guard, people would witness that this young man had this extraordinary ability 'Cause he was super, super strong. Now when if you've ever like heard stories in the Bible and you see pictures of Samson, like the picture that I always have in my mind, like if you grew up with the Bibles that had the pictures in them, you know, did you ever find those? That have the picture of Samson and he'd look a lot like Chris Hemsworth or like or like you know, the Hulk, I mean just ripping with muscles. Now the problem with that picture is you see someone like Chris Hemsworth do something strong and you go, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that actually I get that look at him and look at the guy he's a specimen right but if you saw someone that looked like me (laughs) do something remarkable you know you'd be like oh my word I can't believe he just lifted that thing that's unbelievable the spirit of God must have been upon him I mean goodness he can even hardly stand up straight look at him he's so weak you know and look at what he's doing so in my sanctified imagination, I, I don't picture Samson as this imposing physical character. I think he's a normal-looking guy that God would do amazing things through. And so he's hanging out as this border patrol agent. And that's where things get interesting because he's, he's by this border, he starts to see these Philistine women. And apparently, kind of every once in a while at night, this is what he'd do. He'd go across the border, he'd go hang out in town with them, and he'd meet with them. And that's actually where the story picks up for us. So if you have an orange Bible, it's page 174. one seventy-four. This is going to be in Judges chapter 14. And this is what it says on page 174, Judges chapter 14. We'll start verse 1. Verse one. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman, And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Now, hey, this was like super awkward because the Israelites were at war with the Philistines, right? Samson, you're not even supposed to go across the border. Samson, you know better. Now you've gone there. Now you're telling your parents like, hey, you need to go risk your wife because I found the one, the one for me. Now listen to how his parents (laughs) responded, and this is just so parents. Listen, he says, they replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman amongst your relatives and amongst all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Isn't there a nice Jewish girl that you can find? Isn't there someone in our community that matches for you? It's actually a dig too, right? He's saying, look, they're not even in our covenant. They're not even God's people. Samson, you're special. You know you're special. Everyone's told you you're special. The angel came in and said, I have a special purpose for you. And of all the people who shouldn't be going across the border and, and, and getting involved with these women, it's you. And now you want us to go and you want us to get a wife? Besides, it's against the law. Like Moses, Joshua had told them, you don't go and marry those kinds of women. But listen, this wasn't like an interracial thing. It wasn't about race at all. It was because with if they would go and they would marry those women, those household gods would become a part of their gods. See, the problem was not that they would say, we're not gonna follow God. They would say, we're gonna follow God plus all of their gods. And they would integrate that into their household. And God knew this and said that that's gonna have the potential to pull you away from your life-giving relationship with me. And so you're not to do that. God wasn't against those marriages, not because of race, but because of religion. And so the parents say, can't we find a nice sweet girl for you at home? But Samson says to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. She is the one. Now what's interesting about that phrase, when you roll back into the original Hebrew, is that it matches almost exactly the phrase at the end of the book that says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now this part of the story actually ends up in tragedy. He marries this woman. He has the wedding in the Philistine territory. While he's there, he just offends everybody. And so they kick him out of the country, they take his wife from him, they marry her off to someone else, and they actually end up killing her because of her association with him. It's like this disaster, it's this mess. And then there's another story in his life where he goes over the border another night and he spends another night with a Philistine woman as he gets surrounded by the Philistines and then he does this supernatural feat of strength in order to escape And he's just completely irresponsible. He's so eaten up with lust for these women. It's really fascinating. That's just a a summary. summary. You should go back and you should read it. Your Bible is fascinating stuff. But then the story slows down, and it really starts to develop when we get introduced to this character, Delilah. Samson and Delilah. You've probably even heard about it. But the interesting thing about this story is that when you read this, there's something inside of us, and probably more so for women than for men, where you would say, you would hear the story, and you would say, could any man be so stupid? Could any man ever be so consumed with lust and for desire for this kind of woman that they could make the same stupid decision over and over and over again. And guys, we know the answer to that, don't we? Because the answer is yes. Thank you for the couple honest people in the room. Yes, we can absolutely do that. Every man here, at some point in your life, you have been so worked up by a woman or an image or a thought of a woman or an idea that you've done some of the dumbest stuff in your life. I mean think of the money that you would have had you not spent it on this certain on this certain uh, the certain person, right? And even as we think about it like why are you bringing that up man that's a chapter of my life I'd rather leave in the past. And the reason that it's that we can be so stupid is because sex is uniquely powerful. It is just powerful and it drives us to do some crazy things. And the reason is and and women just kind of, this, this, this is why we're so messed up, right? It's not necessarily God's fault. It's just that God created us and then sin broke everything. But basically, the reason we're simple is because, men, we need three things. We need food, we need sex, and we need a pat on the head every once in a while. Like, oh, good job, honey. Yeah, you did. I see that thing you made. I don't really even know what it is, but it's really good. You did a great job with that, didn't you? And, and the truth is, honestly, if we had to choose, most of us men would probably starve, wouldn't we? so let me think about it let's think about it this way you know it's absolutely possible because we're driven so much now ladies we're going to talk about samson we're going to kind of look at the heart of a man here but here's the problem oftentimes for ladies is that men are real simple but ladies you you actually are so naive that you would believe us you believe us when we say things like, "No, no, 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 we just got to find out if we're compatible." You know, like why would we why would we make a commitment forever when we don't even know if we're, you know, like sexually compatible? Why shouldn't we shouldn't we do this like, you know, it's like buying a car, shouldn't we do a test drive? It's like, do I look like a car? <laughs> do I look like I'm a pair of shoes? I don't know the lines that have hit you ladies, but I think we can look back at sometimes these decisions that we've made and the problem is that you've believed men and you've just been naive. And you think that after thousands of years of development, like we would <laughs> learn better, but the problem is we just keep making the same mistakes, don't we? And the problem just keeps getting worse and worse. I have a friend, she's in, her, she's in her 50s and when some young lady comes to her and says, oh, I just, I love him so much. He, I love him. She'd say, well, what do you love about him? What do you, what's admirable about him? What are qualities that are worthy admiring? That's a good question. What do you love about him? Because if there's nothing great about him, then you're probably better off without him. If there's no character, if there's nothing that actually makes him worth holding up or admiring or saying this is respect worthy, then you're better off without him. Because I know he's cute, but honestly, that's going to go away someday. And I know he has money. I mean, he's going to look like this eventually. And mean, I know he has money. That's probably his, mom, his, his dad's money, and that's going to go away. If he if there's nothing that's lovable about him or admir- admirable about him, then he's probably better, probably better off without him. A couple more things, you know, when I think about what it means to commit, you know, there's people that say, oh, I can't, I just can't afford that right now. It's like, if you can't afford that, if you can't afford to marry him, then you can't afford them. You think that's old fashioned. No, it's not old fashioned because that's the dream that young ladies have when they're growing up. It's why we watch the princess movies It's why we want them to live happily ever after. Not because they decided we're going to try this thing on for size, but because we said we're going to make a commitment till death do us part that you are worth giving up every other opportunity and I'm going to remain faithful to you and I'm going to make that commitment before this community and before God. So many of our relationships can end up in the same kind of way with bad, relations, bad decisions, bad pathways, because sex is so powerful. Now, here's the thing. God created it, and it's wonderful, and it's good, and it has power to bond two people together. But when it's outside of what God has created for us, it can just be this destructive thing. And you don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. You just have to live for a couple years to realize that. So let's hop back with Samson and Delilah here. So Samson falls in love with this woman from the valley of Sorek. Her name's Delilah. Once again, he's walking around. He's in places that he shouldn't be, and he sees this woman. He meets her. He falls in love with her. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like this one-night stand, and all of a sudden, he's like, oh my gosh, this is the one for me. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what about the last lady? Well, don't forget about eh, Don't worry about her. She's in the past. I know she ended up dead and all that, but this is really the one for me. And so this is what happens. The rulers of the Philistines find this out, that Samson's all about Delilah, and in page 175 in Judges 16, It says that the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him. That's an interesting word that they would use. Do you know what a lure is? It's a fake little thing that you wiggle in front of a fish to try to catch them. Right There's the the worm and then there's the hook. The bait brings them in and the hook keeps them in. She said, they, they say, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we might tie him up and subdue him. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver, which was worth rightly, roughly around $90,000 today. So Samson says, or Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Like, this should be your first clue right here when she asks you that kind of question. Pardon me, Delilah? Yeah, I want to know how you can be subdued. Like, dude, I think by the time she asks that question, you're already subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. Now, if you read this story, you just kind of think, Samson, Look at all that God's given you. And you have this opportunity to make an impact. You have this opportunity and this calling from God to do something special and set apart. Why would you even consider being like every other man out there? It continues. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings duh <laughs> and had, that had not been dried, and she tied them with them. With men hidden in the room she called out to him "Samson the Philistines are upon you." But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And then Delilah what she says but you know honestly that the relationship should have ended right there but this is what Delilah says "You have made a fool of me you have lied to me" Of course time out Delilah. Of course he did. You're trying to deceive him. He lies to you. Man, what a great relationship. They're so in love with one another. They can't keep their hands off of each other. He she says, she says, Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He says, I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't the bowstrings, it's a new rope. If you just have a new rope. That'll do it. And so strangely enough, the same thing happens again. She gets him drunk. He passes out. He's asleep. When he wakes up, he's tied up in new rope. And surprise, surprise, she says, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. And he wakes up. He breaks the new ropes. He chases the Philistines off. And then Delilah says to Samson after round two, all this time, you have been making a fool of me and you have been lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He says, okay, you called me. I've been lying. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And this is where you're like, wait, 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 Samson, Samson. It just so happens that the very thing you told her would capture you, she did, and now you're doing it again. How can you be so stupid? Listen, he's not stupid because he's Samson. He's stupid because he's a man. And it overpowers his common sense, and it overpowers It overpowers what God has set him up to be and his desire for that. It's because Samson was being cavalier with sexual temptation. And listen, guys, not just guys, but girls too. Isn't it true that when we step into those moments, we have this thought, I'm strong enough to deal with that. I'm not gonna cross that line I know I won't. I'm strong enough to deal with that. I have enough fortitude internally to deal with that. That was the lie in his own life, was that he believed the lie of his own heart. See, he had been lying to himself. I have the strength to deal with this temptation. And it was a blind spot. It was a blind spot for him, and it's a blind spot oftentimes for us because we think, you know, I can get all the way up to the end of this line, and I won't go any further. I won't be tempted to go any further. I'm just going to click on this link. I won't follow all the cascade. I'm just going to flirt with him, but I'm not going to do anything else. And we are masters at lying to ourselves. It was Moses who told us, hey, be careful, because sin is crouching at your door like a lion ready to pounce. Live carefully. Samson didn't do that. He responds to her and says, well, what you need to do is you need to take my hair and weave it into, the bra- into braids, into a loom. And so, sure enough, that's what she does. He falls asleep. She, she weaves his hair into a loom. I don't know what that means. But sure enough, he wakes up and the Philistines are coming and the Philistines are coming and he wakes up and he scares them away. Then she says to him, how can you say I love you? when you won't confide in me. Ladies, do you have any idea how much power you have? I shouldn't even tell you this. Do you have any idea how much influence you have? You all have it. And here's Delilah, and she's throwing this pity party for herself. She says, this is the third time you've made a fool of me, and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, This is in scripture, I didn't write this. With such nagging, she prodded him and day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. See, an angel told me that I was to be born different, that I was to have a different kind of purpose, and God set me apart, and that when people would see my long hair, they'd know that there's something special about me, but when they would see my incredible strength, they'd know that there's something incredible about my God, and the Spirit of God relies on me. And so, but you know what? I love you, Delilah, and so here's the secret. I've been dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved... My strength would leave me, he says, and I would become as weak as any other man. So she gets him drunk, he falls asleep, he wakes up with a haircut. And then scripture says this. It says, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines sees him And they gouge out his eyes and they put him in prison with bronze shackles just to be safe. And he goes to work grinding grain in the prison and he dies a prisoner. How could anyone be so stupid? Well, the reason is simple. Because when you do what's right in your own eyes, and when you give in to the kingdom of covet, and when you don't yield your heart to the small voice of the kingdom of conscience, this creator God that loves you, eventually you're going to get yourself into trouble and you're going to do stupid things. And then you're going to look back, and as clear as it could possibly be, you're going to say, How could I have been so stupid? Now, here's why I say all of this about Israel and about Samson. It's because you have no idea what God wants to do in you and through you. You have no idea what he wants to do in your life if we would simply yield our entire life, be fully committed to him, including our expressions of sexuality. And you think, but I didn't have some big birth announcement. There was no angel for me. I'm just a normal person. There's nothing special. I don't even know my dad that well. And, and who am I? Listen, I just, I just want you to listen to this for a, for a little bit here. This is so amazing because 1,300 years after Samson, this Jewish guy came along and, and he was speaking to a Gentile and a Jewish community, and this is what he said is true about you and me. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The same spirit that was upon Samson was upon Israel. It lives in you. The same spirit that, that allowed Samson to do extraordinary things, but you know, he just kind of kept running off the guardrails. That's the same spirit. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? And then listen to what he says. He says, you are not your own. There it is. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You know what something is worth? It's worth what it will cost and what someone will pay for it. And what did it cost God to get you? It cost the death of his only son, watching his son die in agony, being tortured, so that you could go from being his enemy to being his child. Something is worth what it's paid for it, and so if it costs so much, if it's so precious, why would we treat something in such a cavalier manner? Why would we disregard what God has called holy and good and set apart for his purposes? So Paul says this, he says, in conclusion, this is what you're supposed to do, so honor God with your body. Honor God with your Your body. See, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have made a faith decision to follow Him, the New Testament says that the Spirit of God lives in you and He inhabits your body. See, the nation of Israel, Samson just had a few moments where the Spirit of God would rest on him, but when Jesus came, he did something new. He says, when I leave, I'm going to give you my Spirit. He's going to be present. He's going to inhabit you. Israel, Israel never even knew that reality. We have the Spirit of God with us all the time. He inhabits us. We're his temple. Do you have any idea what God wants to do in you? Do you have any idea what God wants to do through you? The answer is most of us don't. But you know what I you know what I know is true about every one of us? That the last thing that we want is to be able to is to get to our 50s and our 60s and our 70s and to look back at our lives with regret because if only we had allowed God to invade our heart. If only we had yielded our heart in entirety to the God that loves us, then we would have discovered his plan for us and what he wants to do in you and through you. But if you're like Samson, if you're like the nation of Israel, as they they keep looking at what everyone else is doing and what the culture says, this is what your sexuality should look like and how you can define that however you want. Instead of looking up to how God would have us define it, we look at what they want from us. If we keep doing that, especially sexually, then we're going to look back and we're going to wish that we could undo a lot of things when we get to the end of our lives. And listen, this is not because God is offended by sex. He's not. He created it. It's this powerful, good thing that can bind two people together in a New Testament covenant marriage between one man and one woman. It's the way that He's designed it. And when it's there, it's beautiful and it's powerful. I've used this illustration more times than I can count, but it's like a fire in a fireplace and it brings warmth. When you put it on the carpet, it, all it does is destroy. So it's not that God is saying, I'm against it, it's He's saying that it has incredible potential in your life. So why would you trade something that has incredible potential for good in exchange for a weekend? in exchange for a a week, a season of life, this chapter of your schooling, this image, when you can't even remember their last name? Why would you trade something like that? Because you know this, there's nothing like sexual sin to derail you. Most other sins, you know what, you can say, oh, it's kind of funny. Remember that time when the cops chased us down the alley and we had to hide behind the thing, you know? Remember that time when we just got a hammer and we woke up and we were so sick, you know? Oh, I just remember that thing. And you can just kind of look at it because it's in your rearview mirror. But sexual sin has a way of coming back and hurting you, hurting potentially your children. And it's not It's not funny. It just can destroy. So, what else would you expect your heavenly father to say to you that loves you, that cares about you? He doesn't want us to sacrifice our future potential for this present regret. And so, that just brings us back to this question what do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? Or, what will you plan to do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? And I'll tell you that kind of the answer to this question, we talked about it last week as well. Your answer to this question will determine whether you're going to live from the inside out or the outside in. And your answer to this question is going to determine whether or not you have a yielded heart to God that's going to say, you know what, God, I know that my culture is telling me this. but I want to renew my mind. I don't want to be conformed any longer to that kind of pattern. That's an outside-in kind of thinking. Instead, God, I want you to renew my mind, and I know my flesh and my body is even me pulling me in that direction, but God, I want you to do something deeper in, in me. I want to yield my heart and my mind to you. And there's going to be this tension for the rest of our lives as we have to deal with that draw in culture and in our own life and our own flesh. But because God loves us, he called us to be different from everyone else. Because he knows the power that sexuality has in our hearts and in our lives. And he knows how much destruction it can bring. So that's just the question. What are you going to do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong and would you be willing to yield your heart to the father god the heavenly father that loves you would you be willing to say to him god i want to honor you with my body here is an instrument that god gave me and i can either let it be used for the world and for myself, or I can use it as an instrument to bring praise and glory and honor to God. Would you be willing to ask him to do that in your heart? And listen, if that scares you to think that way, it shouldn't. What should scare you is a life looking back and saying, man, I wish I could go back and I wish I could unmeet, I wish I could undo. So what are you gonna do when your body wants what your yielded heart knows is wrong? And I hope that you'll stop and you'll pay attention to that still small voice of a heart that's completely yielded to God. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for this really unusual piece of history, this narrative that you've given us. It's extreme, but in many ways it just kind of reflects what's true about a lot of our hearts and what's happening on the inside is that we can be really quick and be drawn to define our identity, including our sexual identity, from the patterns of the world. God, would you give us wisdom to know with, to know what to do with what we've just heard and the courage to step into that. But God, I also know, because we're human beings, that there are those rear view moments, those rear view mirror moments Um, that can stick with us, God, and you are a redeeming, restoring, renewing God. You are the same God that stared at the woman who was caught in the middle of her indiscretions, and you declared that there is forgiveness, and there is newness, and there's life. And so, God, even in this area, God, would you bring refreshment and renewal as as we choose to step into the, f- the freedom and the forgiveness that you give us. And God, give us the courage and the awareness that the next time we see the, the bait, we think about the hook and we think about Samson and we think about Delilah and how that ended up for him. God, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, normally, we have like a little song that we sing together. But I thought just because it would be a little fun that I'll sing for you a uh, memorable rendition of the story of Samson and Delilah on my ukulele. Okay, let's try this here together. All right. Maybe you know the tune. Hey there, Delilah, this is your ex-boyfriend, Samson. I know you thought that lifting weights made me so buff and handsome. You were wrong. It's cause I let my hair grow wrong. It makes me strong. Hey there, Delilah, you came in while I was sleeping. And I didn't feel you cutting. And I didn't hear you creeping out the door. You left my hair piled on the floor while I just snored. And oh, it's what you do to me, oh, while I was asleep. And oh, I'm a Nazarene. Oh, but you shaved me clean. Delilah, you're so mean. Killed a lion, big and mean, and slaughtered many Philistines All with a donkey's jawbone, that's no lie But now I'm chained up to a wall and I can't cry no tears at all Because they came and gouged out both my eyes Why'd you grab those clipping shears and shave my head like Britney Spears? Cause now I'm standing here in total shame Delilah, you're to blame Hey there, Delilah, why did you have to deceive me? It's so hard for me to think that not long ago I wanted you to be my bride, but you took too much off the sides. Hey there, Delilah, when you die, just tell the devil I said hi. He'll know why. Oh, it's what you do to me, and oh, and now I'm up a creek, oh, and now I feel so weak, and oh, I look just like a freak, Delilah, you're a geek.